welcome you who are at uh, Otis and also online. Thank you so much, you know, for joining us today. Uh, I just need to make sure that uh, whoever is watching, you know, right now, since you are not in the room at this moment, uh, there is something that God is doing amongst our youth ministry. So let's hear it from our youth guys. Come on, come on. There's... There is something that's happening, you know, it's just, it's just awesome to see and to actually, you know, be a part of. Uh, we're in this series called The Separation, you know, of Church and Hate. Now, didn't Steve Carter do an amazing job last week? Didn't he do an amazing, amazing job? You know, I really love that man. He talked about the importance of dignity, you know, that we are all image bearers of God. And so do we treat one another with the dignity that we should and which would exemplify who Christ is in their lives? Uh, The first week we talked about civility, which is, you know, our anchor was to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry when we deal with folks. And we asked this question. The question is, are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? To be a Christ follower first and then a Republican or Democrat or Independent. This series is not in any way intended for you to change the way that you view things or to change your political you know, uh, inclinations, but it's to help us to understand how do we engage in a world that feels very volatile, that feels very hate-filled, that feels very divisive. Now, I do have a question you know, for you tonight. Before we do, I just need to see some nods here. And if you're watching online, can you put once again your faith filter ahead of your political filter? Go ahead and nod your head. Yeah, online, put yes. We'll put that in the chat right now. So here's my question. What is this? Okay, what's this? Okay, we have a towel. Now, if you said towel to both these, you would be wrong. You would be absolutely wrong. Only one is a towel, and one just looks like a towel. You see, one is decorative, and one is used. Now, I don't know I understand this, you know, because I walk into my house, and I don't see a difference like you did either. I asked you, what is which one is which? And you said towel, towel. Nope. In my house, if you use this towel, you will be in the doghouse, okay? And I'm like, well, then what's the purpose of this towel? Well, it's to, to be there for guests. It's, be, it's to, to look pretty, you know? And there's, I'm like, why? Why do we even have those? It's like throw pillows. They make no sense, you know, whatsoever. I mean, in fact, sometimes I'll just mess with uh, your house. If I ever go to your house or my, my own wife and I'll wipe my hands on the back. She just doesn't even see, you know, with what's there. Now this, this is a real towel, right? This towel gets used. This towel, if there's a spill, we're wiping it up. If I get out of the shower, we're using it. If the dog is wet, we are drying him off. If I were to use that with this towel, it would not be a good day for me. It'd be my last day as your pastor. I can tell you that in my own house. See, they look the same on the outside, but one has great use and the other one just looks great. So here's my question this evening. What kind of towel are you? What kind of towel are you? See, one of the great separators between church and hate is humility. It's humility. And out of the four that we're looking at, civility, dignity, humility, and unity next week, this one I can tell you is the most challenging for me personally in our day and age. Now, there is a big difference between being humbled and to be you know, involved in humility. 
Okay, it's a big difference. Like, for example, when I was 16 years of age, I remember trying out for my first AAU basketball team. And we had our first game against one of the, the number two or three under 16 AAU team in the country. And so the tip went off. We didn't get it. And I'm guarding one guy, and he does this motion with the basketball. And I hadn't seen that motion before. Because I'm like, what is he doing? Is he shooting? As I turned around, all I saw were tennis shoes you know, at my, at my face as I was getting dunked on by a 6'6", 16-year-old. I was like, that was very humbling. Now, I'll be honest, was I still arrogant? Absolutely. But I was humbled in that moment. There's a big difference between being humbled and humility. See, a lack of humility leads us to a lack of maturity and learning. Show me a prideful person and I will show you a person who has stopped maturing and has stopped learning. See, when we think that we've got a corner on the subject or the topic or political view or racial understanding or even biblical perspective, and we stop listening and we stop asking questions, we are no longer in a humility posture. Now, can we agree, go ahead and put this in the chat online as well, that today more than ever, we need politicians to demonstrate more humility in how they behave and how they communicate. Can you just nod and say amen to that? Do you like someone who always takes the credit but never the blame? Do you like working with someone who's all about putting others down in an effort to lift themselves up? Do you like a football player who says, I'm the man, or a football player who says it was a great team effort. Now, let me be clear. Passion, drive, and great confidence is great, but arrogance is something altogether different. Arrogance says, look at me. Humility says, let's look at you. Let's look at us. See, one of my favorite football players is Russell Wilson. Come on, get excited for Russell Wilson. Now, the reason I love Russell Wilson is not because he is the best quarterback in the NFL today, but because after every game, win or lose, he deflects all of the praise. Unless they lose, then he takes all of the blame. He's always saying, hey, man, Russell, you had five touchdowns. You missed three passes. This has been an unreal game for you. And he's like, yeah, our, our line blocked really well. And man, I got some of the best receivers in the NFL and the coaching staff. They did a great job this week getting us ready for the game. You're like, there's a humble posture when it comes to Russell Wilson. See, even in business, you and I find that this is the key of a good leader to a great leader. See, Jim Collins actually wrote this book, Good to Great. And this is what he says in there. In researching nearly 1,500 companies, he says this, the X factor of great leadership is not personality. It's actually in humility. And what he says is staying humble means being aware of and admitting that you don't know everything. It means being okay, making mistakes, and even asking for help. When you're humble, you open yourself up to a continuous growth and learning, and again, you ask tons of questions so that you can keep learning. Now, understand this. It doesn't mean you can't influence other people. You can influence people greatly, but if you have a, an aura of humility, that influence takes on a whole different dynamic. Let me give you one example. Sadie Robertson you know, as an up-and-coming influencer in our culture, especially with the next generation. 
She is very highly esteemed. She's a phenomenal speaker. She's got a podcast. She's in movies. You know, she's doing TV shows, doing all these other things. But she continues to deflect and give praise to other people or she gives praise to God. Now, where did all this originate? Where did it come from? And you're in church. What's the church answer? Jesus, right? Humility is the way of Jesus. See, as men and women, as part of the kingdom, more than a political party, this is what it says about who our God is. In Philippians 2, 3 through 8, it says these words, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, which is okay to do, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude of that that Jesus Christ had. Now notice Jesus' attitude. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself, there it is again, in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So can we agree that the person who could have bragged and been arrogant the most in all of history would have been Jesus Christ? He's God in human form. It don't get any better than that. And he says, I'm going to put that aside out of humility because I'm going to show and demonstrate my love for you and for me. See, here's what's interesting. And just as a show of hands, and and again, put this in the chat as well. Can you agree that Jesus was the most humble person that ever lived? Can we agree with that? Okay. I wonder if you noticed this. I was reminded of this this week. Did you know that in our New Testament, Jesus asked 307 questions in our Bibles? 307 questions. Specifically, he is asked 183 questions by other people. So he asked 307, he's asked 183. And did you know out of the 183 questions that he was asked, he only gave three direct answers? It's fascinating, you know, that we just, there's this old song that says, Jesus is the answer. It should actually be, Jesus has the questions, you know, because he doesn't give the answers. He asks questions on a regular basis. It's fascinating to look at his his life. So let's go to two defining beliefs, two defining characteristics of what it means to be humble, and let's measure it against ourselves. The first is this. Humility believes there is no task beneath me. Humility believes there is no task beneath me. In other words, if you want to measure the humility in our lives, start by identifying the tasks that you and I think are beneath us. What are those? See, in Jesus' day, it was something called foot washing. In that culture, it was dusty. Uh, When they would go from town to town, street to street, there was dust everywhere, and the animals were in the same streets and places, and you know what animals do, and so their feet are just disgusting as they would walk into somebody's house. And if you had some resource, you would assign a servant to wash people's feet upon entering the household. Now, you need to understand that it was always the the least servant. It was always the the newest servant, the one who was the bottom of the totem pole that would get that gross and filthy job. And so they would wash the person's feet. At the very least, if you were a good host, you'd at least put the basin of water out there for people to wash their own feet upon entering into your home. Now, some of you, you hate feet, don't you? Feet are nasty. Any feet haters in here? You know, if you hate feet online, put it in the chat. You know, nasty, disgusting feet. 
So with that in mind, let's go back to Jesus. In John 13, the day before Jesus is betrayed and then he's crucified, Jesus knew that his hour had come. He gathers his disciples in the upper room and he realizes that the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray him. And since he had been given all authority and he loved his disciples to the end, he noticed something. And he gets up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. And then he dried dried the feet with the towel that he had around him. I don't know if you've ever been a part of any foot washing experience or ceremony. If not, I can tell you this. It's one of the most humble things to go through, even more humbly to allow somebody to wash your feet. It's already humbling enough to wash somebody else's, but I can tell you it's 10 times worse to actually have your feet washed. In fact, when we were in the Philippines, you know, uh, our very own Steve Allen, who's our outreach pastor, uh, decided spontaneously without telling us that we were going to do a foot washing. So we had Chinese, Ugandans, Filipinos, and Americans that began to wash one another's feet. Now, I cannot tell you how impactful that was to everyone who was there, who not only watched, observed, but actually participated in what was happening, watching Ugandans get washed by Americans, watching Chinese, you know, watch the Filipinos, and over and over, the racial dividing lines, the cultural differences, the apprehension of relationship completely went away because we were all willing to enter into this powerful movement of humility. Now, I know this might sound crazy, (laughs) but what would happen if in our political system, Republicans washed Democrats' feet? Wouldn't that be crazy? You know, and Democrats washed Republicans. I can't even, I mean, it is so far gone. I'm like, there is like, I I can't even imagine, you know, something like that. There's Trump in front of Pelosi and washing her feet and there's Schumer and just like, what? Is this really happening? You know, where's like the blooper reel or something? But wouldn't it be amazing if you actually saw this kind of humility? It is so hilarious. It's so far gone and yet it's so sad because it reflects the state of where we are in. See, humility believes that there is no task beneath me. But secondly, humility believes there is no one beneath me. There's one thing of a task. You see, a guy comes to Jesus, and he asks him one day, hey, hey Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus asks him a question back. And he says, well, how do you read the law? What does it say? He says, well, it says, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, yep, do so, and you will live So to justify himself, he asks this question, well, then Jesus, who is my neighbor? So Jesus intentionally tells him a story. How easy would it have been to be like, well, you know, your neighbor is those you live with. Your neighbor is your friends. Your neighbor is literally the person who lives next to you and you mow their lawn and they mow their lawn. Your neighbor is your coworker. You know, your neighbor is your extended family member. Those are your neighbors, but that's not what Jesus chose to tell him. So let me tell you a story about a Jewish man going from Jericho to Jerusalem and he gets beaten up and, and up comes by, you know, here comes a priest and he passes by and here comes a Levite, he passes by, but here comes a Samaritan. Samaritan? Jesus, of, of all people? 
These are half Jewish people. They hated each other worse than Democrats and Republicans. They couldn't stand one another. And it was the Samaritan who had compassion on this man and didn't see him as Jewish, saw him as a hurting person and went over in humility to pick him up, to take him to an inn, to provide financially supporting him until he was well. And Jesus looked at the guy who asked him the question, well, who's the neighbor in the story? And he said, the Samaritan. He looked at him and he says, then go do likewise. Wow. Talk about hitting us right between the eyes. See, let me be clear about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So C.S. Lewis said. So let me say it one more time. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Let me give you a practical example. Uh, when you're taking a picture or when you're taking a selfie, right? And you're taking a picture. Let's say there's four or five people in the picture and you look at it. Where do your eyes go first? To yourself. You always go to yourself. And here's what I also know. If everybody looks terrible in the picture, but you look good, do you like the picture? Absolutely. You know, and you're arguing with your friends. No, this picture's awesome. You're like, no, I look terrible. No, but no, it really looks good. You look okay. It's fine. You know, you look good enough because you look really good. Our natural tendency is to look at ourselves. And none of this is easy what we're talking about. You know, can you be honest though for just a second and think of people that you believe based on your words and actions that might be beneath you? Is that person a Democrat? Are they Republican? Is the person black, Asian, poor, from a third world country, maybe different religion? Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist. See, here's what we need to understand. Democrats and Republicans are not beneath us. Democrats and Republicans are not beneath me. There's only one thing that I can be honest before you today that is beneath me, and that is Cougar football. I just have a line, people. You know, I just will only humble myself to a certain point. I'm just completely kidding, kind of, you know, so... See, there's an, another incident where Jesus, his feet get washed. Uh, this time, he's at a religious leader's house, and the religious leader forgot to wash his feet. So Jesus is just kind of there, and all of a sudden, a prostitute comes in, you know, and begins to cry at his feet, and begins to wipe her tears with her hair, with her hair to make sure that they're clean, and then pours perfume, you know, on them and well. And, and the religious leaders say, look, if he's really a prophet, he would know who it is that is washing his feet. She's a sinner, is what the Bible says. Jesus hung out with people that others saw as beneath them. And he says, this woman is not beneath me. And I know that there have been times in my life where I have mistreated people because I actually thought that they weren't worth my time. And I bet I'm not the only one. See, one of the best ways that we can recognize if we think someone is beneath us is how we speak to them or how we speak about them. Do we speak to others and say things and call them names? That Democrat, she's so stupid. Or those Republicans, they're so self-righteous and hypocritical. How we speak to others or about people will give an indication of how we view them. See, as kingdom people, first and foremost, above our political parties, 
We have to, and nobody's asking you to change your, your political convictions, and we're going to talk more about that even next week, but how we come across is key. See, Colossians 4, 6 says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Grace is unmerited favor. It's not what the other person deserves, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And then Ephesians 4, 29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be encouragement to those who hear them. 1 Peter 3.15 says, If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but this is how to do it, in a gentle and respectful way. But, 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 no, there's no buts in the kingdom of God. Well, hopefully there's many, but we'll talk about that later. Humility, (laughs) humility believes there is no one beneath me. Which is why when you read back in John 13, after washing the disciples' feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow so do as I have done for you. Now, is he literally meaning every day, hey, Peter, come on, I need to wash your feet again. Jesus said we need to do this every day. Now he's saying in how we view, how we treat, and how we love other people. Here's what blows my mind, just for a second. Pay close attention. Jesus washed Judas's feet. The Bible says that he already knew that Judas was going to betray him. And yet he was willing to say not even Judas in that moment was beneath him. Man, I got a long way to go. I don't know how he did it. I honestly don't know how he did it. But I began to ask in my own life, who is or are the Judases in my life? Who are they in your life? I know that you know, over these last several you know, months, I have felt betrayed. In certain instances, we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, about people deciding to leave our church, you know, um, over masks, over not opening soon enough, over some of these other things. And I feel, and it hurts. I'm like, wait a minute, this, this, you've been here for years. I can just tell you, my feelings toward them did not go soft. My feelings inside went hard. I just want to confess that to you and God today. See, humility believes there is no task above me, and humility believes there is no person above me. This is contrary to the world that when we actually start doing this in the lives of other people, whether it be at school or at work or wherever it may be, it feels funny. It feels so countercultural that it almost makes us feel weak and insignificant. None of us want to feel weak, but understand this humility is not weakness, but it's incredible strength and victory. That's what you understand. Humility in restraint, especially, not reacting and not responding is absolutely amazing, which is why Jesus says, hey, somebody slaps you on the face, turn to him the other also. They ask you to carry your pack, go another mile with them as well. Are you kidding, Jesus? Yeah, go the extra and watch to see what power you begin to have that people actually don't have control over you because they can't get a response or reaction out of you because you'll always respond in humility. If you study history, you know that Gandhi, even though he was not a follower of Jesus, he followed the way of Jesus when it came to humility. Martin Luther King Jr. followed that way as well. It's this principle, when they go low, we go high. 
Now, when I say that, you understand Michelle Obama said that about four years ago for one of the first times in our culture. And just by me saying the words, Michelle Obama, I have just turned some of you off. Think about that for just a second. I just turned you off might be an indicator that you are more politically driven than kingdom driven because the statement that she said reflects Jesus Christ. I didn't say Michelle Obama believes. I didn't say Michelle Obama reflects or follows Jesus or even that statement. I just said the statement that she said reflects the kingdom of God. When people go low, you and I are supposed to go high. See, when we demonstrate true humility, God will honor us. That's strength. And it starts with Jesus. See, in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it says, Therefore God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. He humbled himself, but then he was elevated with great honor. See, we don't need to elevate ourselves We don't need to respond on a regular basis. I can tell you, this is my fault. Very often, I want to win the argument. I want to to convince. I want to say, no, 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 let's talk more so I can help you understand what you are missing. And understand this, sometimes I may win the argument but lose the relationship. See, is the goal to be right or is the goal to help people see and experience Jesus? That one's a struggle for me. But when we demonstrate humility, God honors us. So as we wrap up, 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, I think addresses everything we've talked about. All of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. We can entrust ourselves to him. So I asked you a question at the beginning. Which towel are you? Which towel are you? Are you one that looks like a humble, loving Christ follower? Or are you one that acts and lives and breathes in humility in the way that Jesus has called us? Great news is, The choice is yours. As we leave here, we can leave here different than when we came in. As we're watching online, you can pray some prayers and a commitment to Jesus Christ. So as we close, is there something that you can say or do to reflect humility in Jesus Christ with someone you disagree with politically or otherwise? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just this challenge. And I pray that if anybody who is in this room or is watching online. If you would like to take that step, it is a humble step to admit you need a savior. It's a humble step to admit that you need a Lord and a God in your life. And if that's you, he is waiting with arms open wide. All you gotta do is pray this prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. For the rest of us, Lord, help us. Help us to think of how, when, where we can demonstrate and model humility 
out of a relationship with you, knowing we want to be members of the kingdom of God first and foremost, especially in this political season. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.